You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. (laughs) Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise God. Uh, Can you believe that you stand before God as Christ? Because Christ stood before God as you. Uh, I'm, I'm learning that that old Charles Spurgeon quote rings truer and truer every day for me, and it's this. I have a great need for Christ, but I have a great Christ for my need. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, tonight, I want to talk to you just for a little while about the beauty of Jesus Christ. I know I'm in the right place. <laughs> I looked around and saw tears dripping off faces and people on their knees and hands lifted high, lost in blissful surrender to Jesus I saw it tonight, so I know I'm amidst the kind of people who I'm plucking the 10 strings of their being when I talk about the beauty of Jesus Christ. Uh, Can you find anything else in the world that thrills your soul more than the beauty of Jesus Christ? Good luck, you won't find anything that comes close to the thrill that Jesus Christ performs on the inside. You were made, you were made for him. You were made to find all in him. This is why when you enter into his presence, you find that 90% of your prayers vanish. Because you realize he's the only thing you ever really wanted in the first place. You begin to see him and realize that he is all the soul could ever desire. And in finding him as all, we find a satisfaction and a contentment that makes the world crazy. They have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about this deep-rooted contentment in Christ. That come what may, let the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, let the world split in half, let the economy collapse, and our hands will be lifted high, saying Jesus Christ reigns forevermore. Our joy and our peace is not dependent upon circumstances. It never has been and never will be, because it comes from a man who's unchanging. The joys of the earth are, in, are as inconsistent as the earth, but the joys of heaven are as consistent as he is, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many know we're passing through this world? <laughs> oh, all other ground is sinking sand. This world is sinking away. It's going away so fast, it's like a runaway train going to a certain doom, but for us, Each day is one step closer to the Father's house. Each day that passes, we have one less day between us and the marital supper. Praise God. I remember reading from Samuel Rutherford. Anybody know that name? He was uh, was in prison uh, for uh, preaching Christ and as he's in prison in chains, he writes this statement. He says, if we, if we could rightly prize Christ, nothing would be bitter to you. If you would rightly prize Christ, you find that nothing can be bitter to you. Praise God. Such statements come from men that were in chains, and as Rutherford also says, that these chains that they put on him, he said they're gold. <laughs> they didn't know that these chains they put me in are gold. He says, they thought this was a prison, but really it's a palace. They've laid me in the arms of my beloved. What is that? 
That's called the beauty of Jesus Christ, recognized by a man looking at the gospel. (laughs) Praise God. And if you and I, no matter what our life circumstances are or the situations that we have had or have or will have, they will always pale in comparison to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forever. It will always be this way. And so we look at Jesus Christ tonight and find him ring that bell on the inside of us and expel all the enemy's voices. Tonight we look at Jesus Christ and we see that there are more more birds chirping in our souls than we ever would have dreamed. Because inside Christ we find that there is springtime always in him. Praise God. You say, Eric, I just feel like that's a a fairy tale land. It's called gospel realities. (laughs) But the problem is is that we, we, our feet get so sunk into the soil of this earth often. And we're looking for everything here, not recognizing that this life is literally, is literally a breath. And eternity shall come. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Praise God. So turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians if you don't mind, I'm going to just touch on a couple of things concerning this beauty and what it actually looks like. You know, some people ask me the question sometimes, what does it mean to say Jesus Christ is beautiful? And it's a legitimate question because it's like, what does that actually mean? How do we realize his beauty? Did I, what, what did I say? Turn to first, did I say 1 Corinthians chapter 5? What did I say? Did I say 15? What did I say? Somebody say something. Oh, I said 1 Corinthians. Okay. Let's scratch that and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. While you're turning there, I'm going to recite a poem. I want you to just uh, let it just go into your ears. Jesus is, he's greater than the angels. He's higher than the priests. Every knee will bow to his exalted seat. There's seven stars in his hand and every crown is at his feet. Complete and perfect are his ways. He's the ancient of days. The earth and sky flee from his face. He's a person, a taste, a resting place, a refuge for any case. Oh, hasten the day when my faith shall be sighted. And because he is bright, my clothes will become white. Oh, light, life, love, Jesus above all. Praise God. This scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 19. I'm going to start at the second word there. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, (laughs) not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Praise God. There's enough in those verses to rejoice and sing about forever. You know, sometimes I I think about joyless Christians and it, it When I think of a joyless Christian, it has to be that that Christian has forgotten that their sins have been completely removed from them. 
The, the fact that your sins will never be counted against you ever again, Jesus Christ has completely separated them from you and taken them away from you completely, that right there is a cause for throwing a party or two. It should set your feet a dancing that you will never, ever see your sins again because of what Jesus Christ has done. And this, we can wake up in the morning, look at my, you can look at yourself in the, in the face and say, can you believe that Jesus washed all your sins away? Praise God. This makes my heart leap and it makes me realize that looking at verses like this, are, they're an endless meditation. And you, when you stare at something like this and you say, okay, that is the gospel, then you realize why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, the gospel in which you stand. In other words, the gospel is not one of the stones you stepped on to, get, to progress further. The gospel is your stationary place, it's your home. The gospel is where you live, you dwell upon the gospel. You don't move past the gospel or beyond the gospel, you live by the gospel. You're not just alive because of the gospel, you live by that gospel. A dear friend of mine likes to say it like this, the gospel is not the runway for the plane to take off, it's the engine in the plane. You say, what is this gospel? Well, that God, was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, just as Romans says, what the law was powerless to do, God did. You can't do it, Jesus is saying, and then he says, don't worry, I'm coming. I will do it for you. So I wanna look at the beauty of the Lord, and specifically in three different ways. One, what he is, two, what he is like, and three, what he's done. Is this okay? I love this so much, I think about this every single day. As a matter of fact, this is the propeller for prayer in my life. This is actually the spinning into communion with God. What is the spinning into communion? Thinking about what he is, what he is like, and what he has done as revealed to me in his self-disclosure, it causes communion with God. It causes my heart to praise the Lord and worship him. I remember reading from C.S. Lewis. He said that praise is the commencement of enjoyment. And, and he uses an illustration of a cup of tea. And he says, you take that tea and you put it to your lips. And, and you begin to drink that tea. And the warm tea goes into your chest. And you say, oh, that's, that's good tea. He's British. That's good tea. <laughs> what he's saying is praise came out of his mouth from the enjoyment of the tea. So praise is the commencement of something enjoyed. And he's saying that's real praise. David begins to recount his God. And as he tastes the memory of his God, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, he calls to mind who God is, what he's like, and what he's done, and something happens to him, and that's called praise. Praise isn't something you do as much as it is something that happens to you when you remember the Lord. I remember John Piper wrote this, to the degree your praise is without feeling, you diminish the one you're praising. To the degree, to the degree your praise is without feeling, you diminish that one that you're praising. In other words, let what you see be believed and praise will happen. 
You know, I, I, I often hear people fight against feelings in Christianity. And I just don't see anywhere in the scriptures where that's done. As a matter of fact, I see in every letter that Paul writes, he speaks of things like love and joy and peace. He actually opens his letters with grace and peace be unto you. <laughs> and he, he talks about this incredible experience of the spirit that is available to us. And he calls these, the, the result of that spirit love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against us since there is no law. He's talking about an explosion of internal emotional reality that comes from another place. Not natural human sinful emotions, but a new man, a new nature, a new sight, a new sound, a new being, a new feeling on the inside that's called being born from above, praise God. And so when I look at this, I see this and I begin to think about a real practical things because I like to make things really practical for myself to make me swallow them. And, and, I, and I put it to somebody like this one time, I said if this was a, if this microphone was a fake grenade, <laughs> like a child gave it to me as one of his toys or something, and I put it up in the room here, and everybody looked at it, and everybody knows that's a plastic grenade made by, you know, Mattel or something, and then I throw it into the middle of the room, nobody moves, everybody just kind of sees it hit the ground, but if a soldier came in here and he's giving you a talk and a walkthrough about his tour in Iraq and he's got a grenade on his belt, and I take that grenade off his belt and I pull the pin. Everybody in this room is going to start sweating or run out of the room. Why? Because they believe that that grenade is real. So when you read the Bible, if you don't believe what you're reading is real, then you're not going to be moved very much. But if you believe what you're saying and reading is real, then you better believe you're going to tremble a little bit. Let me, let me give you an example. For instance, when we th start thinking about God and we think about some of the things that are said about him, it is absolutely insane. And we forget these things and we read over them and we just kind of go on with life and say, oh yeah, God is sovereign and God is good and God is great and God is powerful. But let's talk about this for a second. Let's put some belief in what the Bible has said and let us, let it make us rumble on the inside and tremble on the inside. Why? Because this is part of the beauty of the Lord. This is part of the majesty and glory of his symmetry. He's perfectly symmetrical in every way. He is absolutely just and yet he is so loving the same time. He is so full of compassion, but yet at the same time, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. He's perfectly balanced, praise God. And so you look at things like this. The scripture shows us that he calculates, listen to these words, he calculates all the dust of the earth. I couldn't even calculate the dust on a shelf. <laughs> he calculates all the dust on the earth. The scripture says that he weighs the mountains. The scripture tells us that he spread out the heavens all by himself, that he sits above the circle of the heavens. We don't even know what that even means. He sits above the circle of the heavens. The scripture says that he blows upon men and they wither into nothing. Do you see who this is that we're talking about? So sometimes, sometimes we just hear people talk about God and it's just kind of, yeah, yeah, God, he's so cool, man, he's my homie. He blows on men and they wither into nothing. Do you want to be a little bit more careful about who you're talking about? Are you following me? This is part of his beauty. The scripture says that he clears out the heavens with an exhale. Oh, wow. He clears the heavens by just breathing out 
The scripture tells us that he made the stars those heavenly flames, he counts their numbers and knows their names, and by his own power, none of them go missing. He put them all where they're supposed to be, and they stay there because he keeps them there. My goodness gracious. The scripture tells us that he never gets tired. The Bible tells us, watch this, he sets a king up and he puts one down. <laughs> this will really kind of cause people to get a little upset sometimes when you look at what the Bible says. He's the one who puts a king up and he puts one down. Does that mean that we're inactive? No, 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 we're obedient and we, we go forward in righteousness and with righteousness. But ultimately, God puts one up, God puts one down. That's what the Bible shows us. And that could actually cause a little bit of rest on the inside of us. The scripture tells us that the nations are meaningless before him. Actually, the Bible calls them a drop in his bucket. The nations. I mean, think about Russia and their army. They don't, they don't even form part of the drop in God's bucket. It's nothing. He could literally end. The Bible says at the beginning, I believe it's Micah, he says he can take away all men and beasts from the face of the earth like this. They're all gone, all of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to show us something, call something to remember. The kingdom of God, or let's say it like this, the throne of God is not under siege. He's, he's, he wins, it's already, he's, he's already got it all. He's not worried. He's not, his, his palms aren't sweating. His heart is not palpitating. He sits above the circle of the heavens. He's outside of time, hallelujah. You say, Eric, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to remind us of some of the things that the Bible says. He humbles himself. Listen to these words in Psalm 145. He humbles himself to look upon the heavens. In other words, he is so majestic and glorious and powerful that to even pay attention to what's going on with the angels is an act of humility. That's incredible to me. The scripture tells us that he made the earth by his own power, he established the world by his own wisdom. Oh my gosh, his own wisdom. I mean, you think about the intricate details of a leaf. If you talk to some expert on leaves, leaves they, they look at them and they can tell you all kinds of different incredible things about one leaf. And all of this world has been put together by this vast wisdom of God. That is incredible to me who knows all of these things and made all of these things. He speaks, the scripture says, and there's a tumult in the heavens, he makes lightning for the rain. The wind he stores in storehouses, <laughs> he tells the snow, this is, an act, this is an actual scripture, he tells the snow, fall now to the earth. That is awesome to me. The scripture says that he hangs the earth on nothing. God, what a God. He hangs the earth upon nothing. The scripture says he surrounds himself with lightning and the sound of it declares his presence. Next time you hear thunder, the Lord is declaring his presence here. The scripture tells us that he rebukes the sea and it becomes dry. The mountains melt like wax at his presence. Who is this and what is this personally involved, loving, all-pervading consciousness that is God. He's everywhere. The scripture tells us, he says, I fill the heavens and I fill all of the earth. He doesn't just declare things before they happen. He declares the end from the beginning. This is who we're talking about when we talk about God. He doesn't just declare these things. He actually knows and works them all. The scripture tells us 
No one can deliver out of his hand. The scripture says his purposes cannot be thwarted. Are you hearing these words? Listen closely to this again. His purposes cannot be thwarted. That's awesome, don't you think? The the scripture tells us here, no one can reverse the things that he does. Nine times in Isaiah 45, he says this statement, who is comparable to me? (laughs) That's incredible. He calls himself the first and the last. He actually goes on this rant in Isaiah and he says things like this. He says, describe to me the beginning. Tell me the things that are gonna happen before they happen. Who is this man who thinks he's my equal? Equal, is there any God besides me? Is there any rock or solid foundation other than me? I know of none, he says. He goes on further and he says, who can counsel me? To whom will you liken me? Can you find my equal? This creates worship on the inside. It causes a man, when you look at what the Bible has said about God, and you put that before your mind, and you believe that, the only response is to fall down on your face and say, blessed be the name of the Lord, my God. You say, Eric, I thought you said you're gonna talk to us about uh, Christ's beauty. Well, remember the scripture that we talked about. In 519, it says, God was in Christ, that person that I'm talking about, that we're looking at, all of these incredible details, who hangs the earth on nothing, makes lightning for the rain, that God was inside of Jesus Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Goodness gracious. Not only is he this incredible, but let's talk about now what he's like, because To see that he is this great and powerful being is one thing, but then to realize what his heart is like, it wins you you again. Every sight of him causes you to fall in love with him, whether it be his majestic glory or his kind and tender heart. One of my friends said in theology, he said, I had a class on Christ's person, I had a class on Christ's work, but I never had a class on his heart. And that's what we need the whole of this. We need to see the person of the Lord. We need to see the work of the Lord. But we also need to see the heart of the Lord because it changes things for us. It helps us understand things. You know, let me just say a couple more scriptures that are actually baffling. And I I believe if we just take one of these scriptures and write them on our arm and remember them for the rest of our life, it would change the way we see all of our lives. The scripture says all things are his servants. The scripture says he sits in the heavens and does whatever it is that he pleases. I'm not making this stuff up. This is the Bible. The scripture says he works all things after the counsel of his own will. The scripture says his sovereignty rules over all. We we can, like Charles Spurgeon said, he said the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the Christian lays his head. I'm telling you, you can fall asleep tonight, relaxed and at rest, knowing that this is your God. The God who loves you, the God who's for you. Praise God. So then we look at what he's like. So um, when you see the greatness and, and power of God, it makes you convinced that worry is the seed of atheism. And you begin to see that not only is worthy the seed of it, you see that fear is an assault on his character. 
You see him in his greatness, you begin to see that works of man are an insult to the gospel. When you see him as what he is, you see disobedience is pure insanity. When you see him as he, in fact, is. We remember who he is. So looking at what he's like, the scripture tells us in Exodus 34, verse five, there's this incredible story, you've all read it before, where God shows himself to Moses and he proclaims himself to Moses and he says something about himself. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love or abounding in loving kindness. Isn't this incredible? You know what, Mo what Moses does when he hears this? Name of the Lord and he sees the glory of the Lord. He falls down on his face in worship. In other words, everything that we've been talking about, it happened to Moses right there. He sees the glory and goodness of God and he falls down on his face, which shows us again that worship is a response. Worship, worship is a result of revelation. You begin to see God, oh, I worship you, I praise you. Worship isn't something somebody's trying to make you do or you make yourself do. It's something that happens when you consider him who has displayed his wonders to you and displayed his goodness to you. The problem why worship is so lacking in the church is because other things are between us and the face of God. We have other things that are more important to us than the greatness of God. I remember reading an old book, I forget the author, but he said this, he said, the greatest need in the church is to see Christ in his beauty. It's seeing him. Do you remember what the Bible tells us about Satan? It says that he blinds the minds. What's he trying to do? He's trying to block your sight of the glories of Christ. Why? Because he knows if you see him as he is, you will worship him. So he puts all this stuff in motion, lies, this, that, the other, all with this one goal. Don't let them see the beauty and majesty because they will gladly bow their knees and worship him alone. Praise God. So we look at this compassion. Let, let's just talk about this for a second. He who hangs the earth on nothing is compassionate. Let me explain the word compassion for those of you that haven't really looked at that word because it is incredible. The word compassion in its root means he's attracted to your weaknesses. Goodness gracious. That should make you happy. <laughs> he is not holding his nose and running away from you when he finds weaknesses in you or when you find the weaknesses he already saw. He's not ashamed of this. He runs to you in those weaknesses. As a matter of fact, it pulls him towards you. You say, I'm dark. He says, no, you're lovely. <laughs> he runs to you and he wants to take that weak part upon himself and carry you. That's compassion. One of my friends likes to say it like this, the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug you tightest. <laughs> there's, there's a nature that you see in God called compassion that literally should cause your heart to melt. As Ruth Paxson once wrote, he conquers your will by melting your heart. <laughs> or Jonathan Edwards once wrote, many years ago, he said, the beauty of Christ bows the will and draws the heart. When you see the compassion of God, it makes your heart melt into love. It, it literally causes you to turn into streams of love towards the Lord. It, it's, it's this compassion that keeps you 
I don't know if you've, if, if you've recognized this in your life, but the patience of the Lord with me has been embarrassing. Anybody else feel like that? <laughs> Am I all alone in this? <laughs> no, the, to realize how patient he is with you. And then he just continues to come to you and pick you up. This is, it wins your heart, man. This is beauty. So the beauty of the Lord is, yes, he hangs the earth on nothing, but also he's compassionate and he's gracious, which means he gives to you upon, upon, upon. In other words, he, not only does he take you out of the mud and clean you off, he clothes you with himself. I remember Jack Hayford once said, uh, he said, mercy and grace are distinguished like this. Mercy is you owe me 500 bucks. And I say, I forget it. You don't have to pay me back. He says, grace is you owe me 500 bucks. You don't have to pay it back. And here's 500 more that you don't have to pay back. (laughs) Mercy and grace. He is gracious and compassionate. He loves you, as the scripture says, with an everlasting love. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. An everlasting love. My goodness. He longs to shine his face upon you. The scripture tells us he wants to put joy in your heart more than the time when their corn and their wine increased. He longs to sing love songs over you. The Bible tells you that he wants to surround you with favor like a shield. He wants to cover you with his pinions. He wants to giddy your soul underneath his shadow. He wants to satisfy your life with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Praise God. This is the kind of person he is. Forget none of his benefits. He pardons all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness. He's slow to anger, rich in love, and he doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Praise God. This is who we're talking about when we say God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Sometimes we read it over as like, God, yeah, yeah, of course. No, no, no. God who hangs the earth on nothing and has such compassion that his heart became so heavy with love that it dropped him down to the earth into the restrictions and frailties of a human body so that the God of Israel is made manifest in the flesh to show forth his compassion in its perfect degree in the man, Christ Jesus. Dear God, there's nothing like this. And people want to talk about other stuff. When God has come down out of the sky, he's literally become a man. It's just, it's mind-boggling. He remembers that we're dust. His loving kindness is everlasting, and he keeps his covenant to the end. He's faithful, and you can trust him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let me just talk to you for one more second about this. You know, the, the scripture uses this phrase a lot, the name of the Lord. You've heard, you've read it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it. And they are saved. Remember the song? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is all over the place in the scriptures. We pray in the name of the Lord. 
We hide in the name of the Lord. We rejoice in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is, yes, a strong tower. The righteous run into it, they're safe. But here's the reality of what we mean when we say the name of the Lord. We don't mean the syllables that form his name. Like Jesus, when you say the name Jesus, all of a sudden, like the syllables come together and like causes the earth to tremble. No, 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 there's a thousand guys named Jesus in Mexico. It's not the syllables. It's talking about something else. Let me put it to you like this. If I said to you, there's gonna be two basketball teams playing. You're the captain of this one, I'm the captain of this one, and for you, I'm gonna give you a guy, and his name is Michael. And you don't know anything about this guy. You're like, has this guy ever played basketball before? I need a good player. Uh, Is this guy any good? How old is he? And I say, no, 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 okay, I mean, Michael Jordan. Then you say, oh snap, I know the name, I know the legend, I've seen what he can do, and you say, yes, I thank you for that that guy. Why? Because you know the name. It's not the syllables, it's the reputation and testimony of the goodness and greatness of God's character, nature, and history. When we worship the Lord and his name, it's not we're, we're just worshiping the name Jesus. Yes, praise God for that, but you know what that name means. It means that he saved you out of death that you deserve. That's what the name Jesus means, savior. (laughs) Praise God. And Christ, that means he's your prophet. He's your priest. He's your king. Praise God. It's what he is that causes us to say, I bless your name, I bless your name. Because you recognize and remember and believe the testimony of what he is, what he's like, and what he does. Praise God. This causes worship on the inside. This is, this is love created on the inside. So he manifests his goodness and his kindness, his gentleness, his compassion in Jesus Christ. I just read First John on the plane coming over here, and he calls Jesus, I never noticed this before, he calls him eternal life. I love that. And then later on in the chapter, he calls him light. He calls him love. (laughs) So you have light, life, love, and eternal life. This man, Christ Jesus, he is the full representation of God's heart in a man, Christ Jesus. When you look at that face, that is the most beautiful sight, not because his eyes are symmetrical, his nostrils are symmetrical, and he's got, you know, he's got a good night, he's got good hair. It's, It's not that he's beautiful because of that. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with his character and his nature is so good, it pulls you in. Literally, he is such a good person. His personhood is so attractive by the way that he is that you can't help but love him when you recognize anything about him. That's what we mean when we say, Jesus is beautiful. It's not just because if you saw him in his glorified state, there'd be colors coming out of him that you've never seen before. That's a side issue. As a matter of fact, one old mystic that I like to read says this, that those colors that shoot out of Christ are manifestations of his character. They're light beams of goodness. His goodness, in other words, what he's saying is the character of God is so great that it can't help but become light coming out of him. Goodness gracious, whether or not that's true, it's really cool. So we look at these things and we say, God, what God? He who hangs the earth on nothing. Manifest his heart 
his compassion, his attraction to your weakness by becoming a human being. And in becoming a human being, he walks amongst us. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews, there's this incredible statement. It says that God was veiled in flesh, or his flesh is a veil. So you think about this. It's like he was there, beautiful and glorious, but he had this veil over him that you couldn't see him, and it was skin. (laughs) But the beauty of God is right there in front of men. Veiled in flesh, his glory came. Oh, my goodness. Wrapped in flesh, his glory came Wrapped in flesh, his glory came. Goodness gracious. So this brings us to the end, which is this. God is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Listen to this nature he has, not counting the trespasses and sins against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, look at this. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God, that God, were making an appeal through us. Look at this. Look at these words. We beg you. Man, can you, can you imagine the Apostle Paul? He's saying, I beg you. He's not just, hey, man, this is a good, this is a good idea. You want to know what to do with your future? It's like if a, if, a, if a young high schooler comes up to you and says, I just need to know what I should do with my life. And you could say, yeah, I think it'd be good you go to Iowa State. Yeah, just go to Iowa State. Or you say, you know, you should get, learn a trade or something like that. But what if you came to a, a teenager And a teenager said, what do I do with my life? And you say, I beg you. I beg you. Be reconciled to God. What? I'm asking you if I should get married. I beg you. (laughs) Get reconciled to God. Eric, but you don't understand, I need to make money. Listen, I beg you. Be reconciled to God. And then he goes on here and he says, We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here it is. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A greater message I cannot find than the fact that God reached down into time and he grabbed this heart of mine maybe you're here tonight and you feel like your love for Jesus is just cold you feel dry maybe you've let so many things in life get between you and the Lord maybe circumstances have happened and they didn't happen the way that you thought they should. Or, and you've let that get between you and this love exchange and the recognition of these basic principles of life that I just described tonight, that God is wonderful and he's so full of compassion and he has come down and saved you and that's what all this is about. Maybe that's where you're at tonight. I want to read a poem to you to close. Is that all right? I want you to, everybody, just close your eyes and I want you to hear this from the Lord. Just put your hand on your heart. I'm going to read this over you. Listen to the, pretend the Lord is saying this to you. Myself I present to you as one sent to you, mocked and rent for you, blood spent for you, death sentenced to cross, shame and grave. Oh, let me save you again. 
Only I can mend through the spirit I send. So come to me, be one with me, and unto me live and give your soul, and you'll be whole, and you'll know my Father. Are there any others with affections greater than mothers, deeper than lovers? I'll smother your sins away. I'll cover you with my pinions and lay you upon my chest. Quieted rest, ended quest, stilled and caressed. Oh, I'm the best for you. Victory through making you new by a love you've never known with a substance that I alone am, for I am the Son of Man. Father, I pray for every person right here, right now, and I'm asking that you would, by the gospel, shatter every stony heart. I'm asking, Lord, that by the sight of yourself, you would melt the hardened brain. God, I'm asking you that those whose like spiritual arthritis has set in and they, they, they can't release their hand. Lord, I pray, Lord, for that oil from the spirit of the gospel to loosen them up again, to loosen them up again, Lord. I pray, Lord, those that have become drowsy and they've, they, they've, they've fallen asleep, Lord, I pray that your eyes would cause a brightness to shine in their life and wake them up. Oh, long my imprisoned spirit laid, fast bound in sin in nature's night, but thine eye diffused a quickening ray, and I rose in my dungeon inflamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would quicken again, quicken again. Lord, I pray these weights that people have picked up, Lord, I pray they fall off. God, break them by your own hand. Father, I pray those that have listened to the devil, I pray, Lord, you shut that voice up. Lord, I pray that even as David said, my soul is made restless by the voice of the enemy. Lord, I pray you silence the voice of the enemy by the great victory gospel bell. God, I pray for the gospel trumpet to let out a sound of laughter again in their lives. Lord, I pray, Lord, where joy has been lacking and depression has set in, I pray, my God, that you would, you would lift your glittering sword and come down with great force and shatter that thing in your precious name. Lord, I pray, I pray that every outside influence that has come to try to take your place, Lord, I'm asking that you would rise in spirit to the wall with holy jealousy for love from your bride. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at LifePoint.